Ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek 5'11", 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous 5'11", 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication. Turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. Welcome back to Peak Speak, a new uh, platform in which we are going to discuss threads and only threads. Exactly. And no, there will be no posting of images or video or images of mm. text which happened like within 24 hours of me signing up to that platform. I was like, oh, this would be fun. Like I like the, I've always liked the idea of Twitter, but it's a bit of a cesspool. Uh, Cause I like, you know, short form conversations and text and stuff. That's fun. But uh, yeah, logging in and then within the first like swipe and a half, seeing someone posting an image that's just fucking text on a platform built around text infuriates me. <laughs> I, I hate everyone and everything. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't really understand its purpose. I just click the link because everyone else clicked the link, um, and I, I don't know how long I'll try and be consistent on it. Because like it's, it's one of these things when you when you first got Instagram, you didn't know the potential of what Instagram could be yeah, from a absolutely. business perspective. Yeah. And the people that maximized early are the people that are just like anything. You know, you start yeah. early. If you're an early adopter, you tend to stay near the top. But uh, I have. And I also feel like the pursuit of having a popular social media is probably the opposite of how you get a popular social media. Man, interestingly, I've I've had that thought over the last couple of weeks. I've had like a had a workshop on the weekend and then had a, a handful of inquiries based around some ads we ran and so I've just had a busy couple of weeks and posted way less on social media. And recognized that actually like when my social media is doing the best, the rest of my work's probably falling behind or like is not flowing as well as it normally is because I've just got more time to prioritize that. But otherwise I end up like, I'm just, I'd rather do the work I need to do instead of posting on social media. But I, I at least from my point of view, am leaning towards using threads as like a more purely coaching business related platform from my point of view. Like my personal Instagram page is like a mix of coaching stuff, but also like my life and things like that. Mm. Uh, and so having a platform that's me, but, and not the gym, uh, but entirely training related, I think is what I'm leaning towards. Mm. Um, but you know, we'll see. I'm going to go spicy thoughts mixed with business motivation. Oh, so Gary V meets Salty Thomas. Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> I came um, too hard out the gates. I've got, I don't have any better material than the, the, yeah, yeah. the you, couple man, of slow burn. It's the way to go. You got to build that shit up slow. You know, you know, the funniest thing is that I posted that thing about the, the power lifting, the yeah, spelling yeah, error yeah, at IPF yeah. worlds. The very next day, uh, someone on the APL executive team uh, posted a story and on the post standards was spelled wrong. It didn't have the N it just said state arts. <laughs> I thought, fuck, how's this for irony? This is so good. That, my friend, is, I think, called karma. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, worth it. Amazing. Uh, before we continue talking about powerlifting, we should talk about our good friends at Prism Coffee Co. 
Absolutely. And their delicious coffee bean supplies and how you can get your hands on them from the internet. And they arrive at your house in the form of coffee beans ready to be ground and brewed and drunk. Mm. That's what you do with coffee, isn't it? Yeah, I, I guess I'm so. drinking some right now. Listen. Mm. Mm, sounds delicious. <laughs> I'm going through far more coffee than I normally would because my in-laws are in town. It's a frustrating experience. Understandable. Yes, you know. You win some, you lose some. But anyway, use the code PeakSpeak. Save yourself some money on coffee from our good friends at Prism Coffee Co. Mm. How's things down in the land of, of Burley? Yeah, good, man. Like I said, had a workshop over the weekend. We had eight people for the workshop and it was a really cool group of people um, who'd all had sort of some lifting experience at, at varying degrees mm. uh, and all got a lot out of it, I think. And a few of them are signing up for the uh, powerlifting course, like our Prepare to Powerlift, which is sort of the next step after our one-day workshop because you, you know, do the workshop and then you get a chance to sign up for the four-week course that runs into our novice comps. Mm. So yeah, that'll be sweet. and means we'll get a pretty good group for that, which is always really fun. Um, and yeah, otherwise things are just chugging away. Awesome. Yeah. No, no significant complaints really, which is nice. Amazing. How about you? How's life? Life is good. Things are good. I think, uh, got a whales. Your patient is recovering. Patient little boys recovering. Yeah. He's back on his feet. Got a whales abandoning him again next month to, to build another gym. Um, We've got a whole bunch more gyms lined up as well. They can't say too much about, but stuff's happening in the background. <laughs> Fuck, uh, I mean, that is the, the most big assumed. business bullshit I've ever heard come out of your mouth, Thomas. Oh, there's big things happening in the background. Big things are coming. I'd say big. Can, you said things. Can you start posting that emoji with the snorting? Like the, hmm, yeah. you know the one I'm talking about? Yeah, That's right. big things are coming. Nice. I feel like it's just assumed by now that there's another gym opening. So I always assume you've got a minimum of like six or seven <laughs> on the back burner. So um, <laughs> oh, I think you're insane, but hey, to each their own. Yes. Yes. Anyway, let's talk about what we're talking about. You had a great um, idea. Yeah. So as I said to you, this is a discussion that I've had at various points in varying forms over the last decade, really. Um, but it's certainly something that I've sort of solidified more consistently in my thought process as a thing over the last couple of years. And it's a discussion that came up quite a bit uh, with my team leading into APL Nationals um, recently. And because a few of them were sort of at this point. And, and it's the idea of this uh, sort of powerlifting inflection point that I think probably exists in lots of other hobbies as well. Um, but powerlifting is obviously the one i've been most involved in for the longest so it's the most one i have the most evidence of it in but this inflection point is in most cases somewhere between 18 months and three years i reckon into your powerlifting journey and there's a lot of factors that influence sort of where it pulls up in that that period including things like you know your training history your athletic background your strength level coming into it how many grams of testosterone you're inje injecting in the training prior to your powerlifting journey. Uh, you know, a whole bunch of factors like that. Uh, and ultimately, everyone goes through, I think, this point at some point in that 18-month to three-year window. And it's this point where you've kind of exhausted all of the 
I don't like the term beginner gains, but those sort of relatively linear early gains that happen through just getting better at doing the thing by doing the thing. Like, yeah, you're getting stronger and all of that stuff as well, but really that first somewhere between 18 months and three years is just you getting better at the thing and really sort of learning the process and define, refining your skills and, and all of that sort of stuff. And then you get to this point where maybe you've had a handful of meets in a row where your totals continue to improve. You've hit PBs on at least one of the three lifts in every comp you've done. Life's been pretty good and it's all kind of progressed in the right direction. And then inevitably you have either a bad comp or a bad prep experience Maybe you get hurt, maybe life gets in the way and you undergo a really stressful period at work or something like that that sets you up in a way that means you don't get the results you want or you expected and suddenly the process becomes much harder than it once was. And at that point, the reason I think it's a very defining feature of powerlifting and sporting hobbies in general, I think how you handle that point, both from a choices standpoint, but like really a more from a mental and emotional standpoint, I think as well, how you handle that experience ultimately defines your ability to be successful in the sport. Because if you're the sort of person that runs up against these roadblocks and throws it all against the wall and cries about it for a long time, then you're probably not gonna get very far. And often those people never come back, right? The best lifters in my experience, and I'm sure it's reflected in your experience as well, get to that period, are frustrated by it, uh, struggle through it, but learn from it and use it as the building blocks of what's to come. And the people that get through that period often end up being the most successful. Or success doesn't, in this case, just have to be kilos on the platform, medals at nationals, that sort of thing. It can also just be success in the form of you did this for a long time and had fun doing it. Because I think too often we talk about success like this as purely, you know, you are setting records, being the best, that kind of thing. And for a lot of people, that's actually not a realistic version of success because you don't have the genetic talents to be that person or the life circumstances. So it's okay to define success as you got through that 18 month, two year, three year window, learned a lot and then continued to be a part of the sport. Because I'm sure anyone who's been in powerlifting as long as we have can name hundreds of people who for two years were going to be the next best thing who we've never heard from again, right? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it is about how you respond to that powerlifting inflection point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, man, 100% agree. And it's something just coincidentally, I'm really glad you brought it up because it's something that I've been reflecting on a lot lately just in in conversations that I've been having in the coach development stuff that I do as to why this actually occurs and then how that uh, impacts our training decisions, our coaching decisions. Um, and for me, if we start to unpack the question of why, it's, it's taking a look at the sport as a whole and accepting that powerlifting is very easy in the sense that it is a very low skill but high strength uh, dependent sport. And so if we, if we get like way out of the realm and just focus on one aspect, so just focus on something that requires a lot of skill, like uh, playing an instrument. Yeah. Playing an Golf's instrument, always the example I like in that one too. Yeah, golf as well, a great example. Um, playing an instrument, playing golf, uh, you, you need to be uh, doing the thing a lot. You can't give it, you know, four two-hour sessions a week and expect to get tremendous at it. Um, people who are elite at this thing are doing it every day for many, many, many hours. Yep. Um, whereas powerlifting, you can do it a couple of times a week and get really good at it really quickly. 
because the skill aspect is relatively easy, um, what we see is those those noob gains happening are more just a reflection of exactly what you said right at the start, which is getting good at doing the thing. And because you tap out of that really quickly, it then becomes a realization that getting strong is the hard part of powerlifting. Yeah, fucking oath. And, and it's hard because it's slow. Yeah. And the more like generationally we want everything straight away, the more frustrated people are going to get with it. Um, and it creates like... When you start a, a new pursuit that is high skill, um, you go through that inflection point very early. If, if you don't play piano and you come over here and I try to teach you playing the piano every single day, you'll get really fucking frustrated with it really quickly. Um, however, if you get past that point, you learn to just grind through and deal with the failure and deal with the difficulty and the... Uh, the um, repetition of it all whereas with powerlifting you don't hit that point until you're pretty good at it like mm. pretty maybe not pretty good on a world stage but pretty good by where you started and so it's like you're grinding away for two or three years you're like this is easy i got this and then that point hits you're like what the fuck is going on the world is cr maybe i'm not supposed to do this and so you're automatically clouded because you probably haven't experienced this up to this point uh so it's not only is it very unexpected uh it's also just a bit of a shock to the system. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things that sort of adds into that is that powerlifting can be caught up in chasing the comp date and not looking at it as a longer term thing. And that's what I think we do end up doing in that first 18 month to three year period of like, you know, how many people do you know that you've coached that have done like, six meets in 18 months or two years and like they've done basically nothing but back-to-back -back comp preps for a couple of years and basically what you're getting out of that comp prep is like we said you're just getting better at it by doing it a bit yeah. i to your point about the difference between sort of being good at it and being strong i've always said that uh getting strong is the easy bit getting good at it's hard getting strong is easy it just takes heaps of fucking time yeah. getting good at it's the hard bit because you've got to like deliberately choose to get better at it you've got to consciously work at the skill set and i think to your discussion about things you can do to sort of help prevent this or maybe minimize the intensity of this hump that you're going to have to get through at some point because i i don't think you can entirely prevent it i i don't think that's a realistic mm. outcome because it's the nature of any cyclical pursuit where you're building on something you're going to go through hard periods and easy periods you're going to go through challenging periods and all of that kind of stuff so i think to to come into this discussion aiming to get rid of it completely would be silly but i think there are, like you said lots and lots of things we can do proactively to set you up to get through that as the smallest possible hump in the road and it becomes a speed hump not a mountain you know yeah, you are going to struggle. Um, You're going to slow down. And the more you can soften the blur by being prepared for that, the the more likely you are to stick it out and stay with it for the long term. Um, yeah. And I, I actually do agree with your point as to this skill is the hard part. Um, when I say that powerlifting is easy, and I know you know this is what I mean, yeah, but yeah. Uh, for the listener, uh, I just mean like very low barrier to entry. Yes, it's pretty absolutely. easy for anyone to do a squat, a bench press, a deadlift. To master it, whole different story. Like my yes. job with elite level lifters is spending all this time and energy effort making tiny minor tweaks to get that 1% out of them. It's absolutely uh, difficult. Um, but uh, 
uh, I guess that's on a, a different plane as of, of mastery versus just doing the thing. Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of this can also be set up in how we frame the discussion around expectations of progress early on. Like I try and talk about this as a thing fairly early in the coaching relationship because I want to have the discussion about how we're trying to build habits and processes and systems now that set you up for four or five years or more of continued progression. And that's not to say that we're arbitrarily holding you back or not letting you train as hard as you want to to do that sort of stuff. But instead, it's about knowing that we might make some decisions now that are about building the foundational blocks you need, but also giving you the tools to be able to get through it when it gets a bit monotonous and hard. So that's where I think, at least in how I write programs and and sort of how I think about the cyclical nature of training, things like more generalized, you know, less specific post-competition blocks, things like that, that are built around not deliberately chasing just that end of the spectrum, but giving you both mentally and physically a break from the heavy monotonous side of it. Uh, And often that is the sort of thing that leaves people like a little bit frustrated because it becomes really hard, but there's no load on the bar because we've given you a bunch of different things to do that are much harder than you're used to normally. Uh, But often what I've found is that the point of, you know, maybe it's only four or six weeks, that person then gets to the end of that, like hungry for the next block of actual lifting. Mm. And I think there's lots of strategies around how you set up the cyclical programming structure and how you talk to people about these discussions that will help minimize the impact of that hump by giving them the opportunity to pull back a little bit or in some cases forcing them by just pushing them backwards a little bit in terms of away from the specificity side and towards a bit more general build the base especially if you're the sort of person who got into powerlifting as your first athletic endeavor. Because if you get into nothing but powerlifting from the jump, four or five years in, you're going to very quickly realize you've completely exhausted any skill development you have left in a training context. And suddenly you just hit a massive brick wall because there are all these other athletic capabilities that are non-existent in your life. So I think there's a lot to be said for developing that early in someone's process. So it becomes just an accepted part of how you build a a training program and momentum over a series of months and years as opposed to days and weeks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I I fucking love that. And I think it's really important um, for both lifters and if you're relatively new to the coaching world, and I mean new, like last five years kind of thing, because what John just said is, is is super important in terms of understanding what long-term lifting looks like which is we as coaches are always thinking not about like what does the next six months look like but what does your journey through lifting in life look like basically forever because my assumption when i get a new client is that they'll be my client forever now that's not true they won't be my client forever but i'm going to treat them that way so i can impart as much longevity sort of lessons upon them get them ready for what to experience and there's there's kind of strategy and levels to that so um we were talking before we started recording and i was saying about how um, spending time coaching people at the elite has really helped me unpack and reverse engineer what coaching at uh, the novice level should look like because uh, i've been kind of hands off the novice level for a long time and i, I know how to do it i've done it a lot in the past uh, but Uh, I always like to treat people as if they're one level of experience above where they are 
And this is really important, especially if you're dealing with powerlifting, you're dealing with peaking, because if we use peaking as an example, if I treat a novice lifter, sorry, if I treat a lifter that's crossed from being novice to say more intermediate or, or advanced as a novice, then the peak is going to be terrible. If I do the reverse and I treat a novice like they're slightly more experienced, it won't impact the peak too much. And so I like to get them ready for what they are to expect at the next level of experience. And of course, experience exists on the spectrum. There's no defining moment where you go from like novice, intermediate, intermediate, advanced, whatever. Uh, but I always like to set people up for what they're going to experience over time. I, I talk about this with deloads as well. Um, I use proactive deloads. I always have, always will. No, I haven't always. But I always will. <laughs> and, well, that's a big but, call. Look at Thomas committing to proactive deloads forever. That's right, baby. Um, the the major difference uh, in terms of how I visualize things to how I see it spoken about is that I look at a training block as like similar to a training week. Uh, that if you control all the variables and you've got enough um, uh, data backed up over time, that block that week becomes very predictable. And so even though we are unpredictable animals, even though we are not all the same, uh, we respond to the same training stimulus. And if you've got enough data that you've collected over time, you can box people um, into boxes according to their archetype. Uh, so when it comes to um, a novice, sometimes they'll say, oh, I don't feel like I need a deload right now. I'm like, that's cool. Let's take it anyway. Because now we've got the data of you felt good. We can play around with some variables within that sort of training block and we can make it harder next time. But it also sets you up to expect what the process is going to be like. Um, and a part of that is we don't know if one more training week would make you need a deload. I don't see it as a waste of time. I see it as gathering data mm -hmm. so that the program for them becomes really time efficient moving forward. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's just, it's just two ways of looking at the same thing, basically. Yeah, for sure. I, I have a couple of points. One, to sort of build off what you're talking about there. One of the things I say at the powerlifting workshop I do, so like it's called a powerlifting workshop. It's about powerlifting. So we go through squat, bench, and deadlift. You know, we talk about theory, then we talk about the technique side, and everyone does some practical lifting, and it, you know, it's a proper thing. But the first part of the sort of intro discussion I have is framing the discussion that today we're talking about powerlifting and I'm going to talk to you about powerlifting like all you want to do is be the best powerlifter in the world. And I will at various points flag moments where this discussion doesn't have to be taken to the same level of nuance and intensity if you're not trying to be that. And, you know, in the group that I had, no one was. They were all relatively early in their journey and none of them had the genetic capabilities to be amazing based on what I saw. That's not to say they couldn't, but, you know, you never know. Uh, and the important thing is that you can have that discussion at a high level, but if you can't then talk to someone about like why the discussion they read on the internet, which is especially common in that sort of early, you know, late beginner, early intermediate lifter who's like hungry for information and following people on Instagram and reading threads. Is that what we're calling them? Their posts? Are they threads? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, And doing all that shit that, means they're getting a whole bunch of opinions from people without the context that those people have broadcasting their opinions. Mm. And so suddenly their heads are swirling with all this extra information. Um, but if you can remember the point you were trying to make, John, this podcast would have been a lot fucking better. <laughs> 
What am I talking about? Early in the journey. Early in the journey, being exposed to information, deloads is what sparked it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's mostly people. just about the, the discussion of being able to scale that conversation. Like, yeah, we can talk about the nuance of this technical aspect or something like that right now. But actually, maybe the discussion about the nuances of high versus low bar position isn't the right discussion for you right now because we put you anywhere near a low bar position and your squat goes to complete shit. And we could spend some time working on just that aspect of it, but certainly in a group setting like this workshop, I'm more inclined to be like, okay, well, let's talk about that at a later point but for now focus on let's just get the most consistent squat we can with the time we have mm. and i think recognizing where you're at with the conversation with individual clients also is going to help that as well um but to your point about the defining point of transitioning from beginner to intermediate and beyond i actually think this whole discussion is that defining point right like yeah. i would consider that to be the point that defines the or delineates the difference between a beginner and an intermediate level lifter because if you can get through that point and continue, I'd, I'd call you an intermediate, regardless of your actual strength levels. Because you can be a fucking thousand kilo totaler and still be a beginner in my eyes. You were just really fucking strong when you got into the sport, right? That person could still have two meets in 18 months and then never be heard from again because they didn't make it through this inflection point of getting better and continuing the process. So I actually think that could be the defining point. I hadn't really thought about it as this, as that defining point until you mentioned it. Mm. But I think it's a, it's probably as close as we get to a real definition of it, mm. um, because it, it's the thing that I think everyone experiences, and is ultimately the thing that separates people from being, you know, okay to being really, really good. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm sure you know this about me already, but I don't like to accept beliefs that I've just read or heard. Like if everyone's saying it, I, I really prefer to challenge it and find out for myself. Um, and one thing that never rang true for me, even when I was reading it as like a 14, 15 year old kid on bodybuilding forums is this idea that you've got a natural ceiling. Yeah. Uh, and so like a natural strength ceiling, I don't believe like you don't, you don't run out of strength potential. And granted, uh, if, sorry, I shouldn't say that as an absolute because as you get older and things change with the age yeah, yeah, sure. but while you're young and healthy and, you know, growing, you know, that, that sort of whatever age beyond puberty to mid to late forties, uh, pretty consistent strength potential. No reason why you can't continue to get stronger. And so this idea of plateaus. A plateau is is not because your muscles don't have the potential to get stronger. There's yes. some there's something wrong with the system somewhere. Yeah, and exactly like you're saying, uh, you know, this this is what happens. People reach this point, they think they've plateaued, uh, and rather than sort of figuring out why that's the case, which often just means get a coach that knows what they're talking about to teach you why it's the case. Um, it can become that point of it's not working. I'm not any good at this. I'm not making progress or more sinister. Um, this is a real fast track to getting out of the sport. This inflection point can be the point at where people introduce performance enhancing drugs. <laughs> yeah, and, man. <laughs> and exactly what happens is people introduce performance enhancing drugs with the idea that I've stalled. This is my natural yeah, ceiling. Yeah, absolutely. This, this is what I need to continue to make progress. The problem is the progress or the lack thereof is not because of, again, something missing besides the training process. 
Like some, yeah. something's missing in the training process, not within their own self. And so what happens is they start blasting gear, whatever. They go to that next level. They continue to make progress. But gear just knocks you up a level. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's not yeah. a key to consistent progress. So no. if you don't fix the process, what happens? You plateau again. And these people, they get to that point, And now their only solution is, is to take more gear. Yeah, and so absolutely. you and I have seen this, especially with young people. Yes. Um, and anyone who's followed, you know, internet superheroes that have come out of nowhere, become the top, um, and then just disappeared. Yeah. How many people are reposting Dr. Deadlift anymore? Don't see much of that happening. You know, skyrocket out of, of nowhere. And I mean, I don't mean to throw the guy under the bus. What basically what I'm saying is, if your only solution is to add more stuff and not fix technique programming, the stuff that's actually slowing you down, uh, it's a real fast track out. And in those circumstances, normally it's just a fast track to injury. Yeah, absolutely. And it it just again, like you say, it doesn't actually get you through that hump or over that hump by adding anything other than like a squirt of rocket fuel into the already dying rocket, right? You're just getting a bit of extra flight time before it crashes into the ground and blows up anyway. Mm. And in most cases, that catastrophic explosion is magnified because you've just fucking pumped it full of rocket fuel. Mm. Uh, And that's often the case. We see people like, they get to that 18-month point and they're like, oh, I've hit this plateau. And plateau's a word I try not to use at all. Like, it's just one of those discussions it's not worth having because you haven't hit a plateau there's just something's not working like you said in that system and so often i have these discussions with people like oh i've hit a plateau I'm like oh, okay like have you though talk uh, to me about like what are you doing oh like i sleep six hours a night i train for three 60 minute sessions and i eat cheeseburgers for breakfast cool yeah. you haven't hit a plateau there's just a whole bunch of leaking holes in this system that we could like very simply plug and get more out of it yeah it's 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 self-unawareness but self-unawareness due to a lack of education yeah absolutely. so like you know i am not any better at playing the piano than i was five years ago because i haven't done what i need to do to be better yeah. at that thing but if i if i thought okay well all i need to do is play half an hour a week and i'll be better then i'd be fucking upset right now that i'm not you know yeah. as good as the people on instagram or whatever um and so it is our job to impart that education uh but yeah sometimes it's easier said than done well i think that the ultimate manifestation of this is actually when you have a client who gets to this inflection point and blames you um, (laughs) which has definitely happened to me multiple times where it's like you get to like 18 months two years they have a couple of bad meets things aren't going their way and like the whole time you're having conversations around like hey here's some lifestyle factors we probably need to address like talk to me about what's going on here like oh you know, your life's going a bit crazy. We probably need to pull back a little bit. And you, these conversations often, in my experience, start as like a subtle undertone of a conversation I'm going to have. And my intensity and commitment to that conversation has to increase over time because the underlying problem hasn't changed. That person's still crazy stressed and is trying to do an unmanageable training schedule and all of this kind of stuff. And they get to this point and it all fucking explodes and then suddenly it's like, I feel like this coaching thing isn't working. It's like, well, okay, fair enough. Like, yeah, that's definitely partly on me for not having a process to communicate that effectively enough. But until you can highlight that discussion with people and be like, hey, here are all these things I've been saying for three months about how like you could get more out of this process if you did these things. And if you're not going to buy into that, that's fine. Like, you know, you can lead a horse to water. You can't force it to drink. 
but that's always for me the the funniest part of this discussion is like oh you are actually and maybe it's not funny maybe i actually just genuinely feel sorry for you for not being aware enough to recognize that like you play a role in this relationship as well like Mm -hmm. when you externalize all of that blame on me the coach and the program and the system or whatever or the fucking federation or the referees or whatever it is you're blaming it on you lose so much opportunity for growth right Mm. and and still i have these conversations i know they're coming because you can often see them coming a month or two in advance if you're good at what you do as a coach Mm. you know they're on the way out and it just kind of happens and there's not a lot of point in trying to fix it at that point because it's too late Mm. uh but seeing it come and then actually i still the you know the moment they send the message my first thought is still always what could I have done better? Like, what did I not do? Where where have I let down my side of this relationship? Even knowing that they, like having miles of evidence that they have not done their half, it's still an opportunity for me to get better and to improve my systems and do all of those sort of things. And I think this is the same thought process that should be something you're aiming for in an athletic pursuit or any pursuit, really. If, if your goal is to get better at it, you need to be thinking critically about how you can get better at it and looking at the bigger picture of your whole life and how it pertains to that, not just your training in a vacuum. And you know, you don't have to live and breathe in the gym and do all that shit on the level if you don't want to, but you've got to recognize where training and your priorities sit and how that aligns then with your expectations of results. Mm. Yeah, no, I love that. And I think, you know, we we as humans have an automatic tendency to look for something or something to blame when things don't go our way and it takes a lot of time and skill and energy and effort yeah, to go within and and be you know take that ownership that you're taking and say okay what could i have done better um and it can it can suck as a coach what's really cool and rewarding over time like you said we can see these conversations coming from a million miles away yeah, yeah we, exactly. we've built in contingencies to make sure that we're laying the foundation of here's how it all works here's what to expect if this isn't happening you're not going to make progress so very rarely uh, do i have these conversations anymore where someone's directly blaming me for for their lack of progress but what i love is having a client for an extended period of time maybe it's even years um where for while i'm with them as a coach uh, they're struggling with things. Life stuff happens. They have a baby. They lose their job, whatever. They, they have massive interruptions. They get injured. Uh, and I'm able to keep them in the sport and keep them going. Maybe they they make little progress or no progress and they're self-aware of all the stuff that's happened around them. And then they stop coaching and then they go on and I see them six months later and they're, they're kicking goals. Uh, because if I hadn't set them up, if I haven't, hadn't given them education, if I hadn't been able to help them see why things weren't working at the time, maybe they would have quit and maybe they would yep. have never fulfilled what they were hoping to fulfill. So, um, yeah, I love that shit when people, even once they've, they've left me, when they continue to make progress or make progress that they haven't made in years and not because our system failed, but because yeah, there yeah. was stuff going on in their own yep. life. It, it's a real testament uh, and I'm sure you've had this. It's a testament to you if they've just continued to stuck around, continue Man, stuck out. I, I literally have someone going through this right now who I'm sure will listen to this and who I'm sure will know that I'm talking about them, who's going through a crazy work-life balance thing that like, we knew was coming and it was sort of building for a while and 
in this case, this person was preparing for a comp and then the discussion was made like, hey, maybe preparing for this comp isn't the right thing right now and we need to pivot very significantly to allow you to, the space physically and mentally to deal with what you're going to have to deal with outside of training. Mm. And to have continued to have that discussion over the course of like several months while this person's going through all of this in a way that some weeks the discussion is like, hey, I'm just checking in on you. I know you probably didn't do any training this week and that's okay, but know that I'm thinking of you and I'm here and we can do stuff if you need it and that sort of thing to giving them ideas for here's just like a way to squeeze something in. Like it's a bit of a loose framework for a session. It doesn't have to be about making progress, but it's about recognizing where you're at in your cycle of life right now and that you can't prioritize training to the level that I know you want to and I know you want to be really good at and you want to be pushing hard, but it's not the right thing because we're now at a point having a discussion about, hey, look at where you are now and yeah, you're not as strong as you were, but six months ago when we had this discussion, you could have very easily tried very hard to continue pushing towards a competition and I promise you that what you've gone through would have been significantly harder if you were also dealing with the self-implied pressure of trying to perform in a training setting. Mm. And so as a coach, having, like you say, that relationship that allows that person to trust you enough to take your encouragement to step back and to change the direction a little bit because you take into account their entire life and their entire existence as a person like that's what fucking coaching is mm. right that's i i said over the weekend and it's sort of in my now list of formalized coaching principles it's the first thing in the list coach humans not machines because it's it's so much more than just sets and reps and weight on a bar and all of that kind of stuff and this whole discussion i think is, is sort of framed by that idea of you know, the BPS model, the, the idea that you've got to look at the human as a whole human, not just as a series of joints attached to a barbell lifting mm. fucking weights. Yeah, love it. No, I think that's a good place to end. Sweet, man. Love Thanks it. for hanging out, friends. See you all soon. Bye. Bye.